0: with me in your Bibles again to Matthew chapter 7 and continuing our way through the Sermon on the Mount and we are to verse 6 and we're going to deal with verse 6 by itself this morning. Matthew 7 and verse 6 where Jesus says this, Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine. Or they will trample them under their feet. And turn and tear you to pieces. Let me read that again. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine. Or they will trample them under their feet. And turn and tear you to pieces. That is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning asking again that you would be our teacher and that you would be our helper. And there are, as your Word even tells us, some portions of it that are difficult difficult to grasp, difficult to understand difficult to apply, yet we know that all of your word is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, It's given for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. The man of God might be adequately equipped for every good work, and so we pray your blessing upon this time in this part of your word, and again that you would be our teacher that you would open our eyes, our hearts, to be able to see and apply the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this uh, verse is what we call one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Uh, Take it by itself, it's very hard. It's also very hard to understand. But when you look at it in the context, that is, when you look at it in light of what Jesus has already taught in the first five verses of Matthew chapter 7, it becomes much more clear what Jesus is teaching here. This is, you know, one of our basic rules of interpretation, interpreting the Bible. We always look at a text where? We look at a text in its context. Every text of Scripture has a context, a smaller context. A larger context than the context of all of God's word. We understand God's word aright when we always keep a text within its context. In this verse, Jesus is really giving balance to what he taught in the first five verses of this chapter. There you recall that Jesus is giving us a warning not to be judgmental. The theme of the first five verses is do not judge So that you will not be judged. And not only did Jesus tell us not to judge others, but he also instructed us to make sure that we take the log out of our own eye before we begin to try to take the speck out of our brother's eye. That is, we're to realize our own sin, our own failings, our own shortcomings before we try to deal with the sin and the failings and the shortcomings in the lives of someone else. I came across a little poem. It goes like this. There's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it doesn't become any of us to talk about the rest of us. Now, we need to look for what we can praise in the life of another person and not what we can criticize. We should focus on encouraging others by telling them what they did right instead of discouraging them by always telling them what they did wrong. You know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. However, not only do we sometimes assume God's role in judging others as we saw in the first part of this chapter, but also sometimes we assume the role of the Holy Spirit in trying to convict others as well. Now, there is a proper time as we've seen, a proper time and place and way to confront others with their sin. Matthew 18 gives us a clear outline of how to deal with others when they fall into sin. In Galatians chapter 1, we looked at last Lord's Day. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul gives very specific instructions about how you handle someone who's fallen into sin. You do it with gentleness. You do it watching out, For your own soul, protecting your own heart, lest you fall into the same sin yourself. A godly person, Jesus says here, is not a hypercritical person. A godly person doesn't tear down other people, but he builds them up. They don't always look for the negative, but they look for the positive. Godly people don't judge others, they leave the judging to God. That doesn't mean we don't make any kinds of discrimination between people. that We don't make distinctions with what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, what is truth and error. Here Jesus is saying that we are not to be judgmental or critical. That's what he said in the first five verses. But in verse 6 he says that we are to show discernment. Now, before we get started this morning, I want us to be real clear and real honest. There are some believers who claim to have the gift of discernment, but who use that as an excuse for judgment. They say, I have the gift of discernment, but who turn that into an excuse to judge other people. Now, there's a fine line between the two, between discernment and judgment. But we must be very careful that we don't cross that line. Jesus commands us to be discerning, but not to be judgmental. And it really takes the mind of Christ and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to keep that balance. I want to do three things from this one verse this morning. First, look at the instruction Jesus gives. Second, look at the reason He gives it. And then third, draw some practical implications from it. First, what is the instruction? It is... As you read again, verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine. Jesus is talking about something that is holy, something he describes here as pearls. The context is clearly referring to the gospel, to the good news of salvation that we find in God's word. What is this book? This book is the Bible, right? It's not just the Bible. What kind of Bible do we call it? It is the Holy Bible. And it's holy because it is in this book that God reveals Himself to us. You might recall that when God called Moses at the burning bush, as Moses approached that burning bush to see what was happening, God cautioned him, stopped him, and said, Don't come closer. Take the shoes off your feet. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. Well, why was the ground there holy? It was holy not because of the fire, but because in the fire God was manifesting himself, revealing himself to Moses. The ground there was holy because of the presence of God, because of God's revelation of himself to Moses in that place. And that's why this book is God's Holy Word. It's because in it God reveals Himself to us. This is God's revelation of Himself to His people. And that's why every time we approach God's Word, we ought to do so with a sense of reverence, if not even a sense of awe. Figuratively taking the shoes off of our feet, realizing that we've come to study. God's Word, we are standing on truly holy ground because God reveals Himself to us in it. It's holy. Jesus also describes it as pearls. In Jesus' day, pearls were extremely valuable. You might recall the parable Jesus told of the pearl of great price about a pearl that was of such great value that the merchant was willing to sell everything that he had in order to have that one pearl. And of course, that pearl of great price exemplified and illustrated salvation. Jesus is saying here, don't give what is holy to dogs. Don't throw your pearls before swine. That is, you say, you must be careful sometimes to whom it is that you share the gospel. You're not to give it to dogs. You're not to give it to swine or to pigs. Well, who are they? <laughs> Important to understand who they are, isn't it? Who are the dogs and who are the pigs? Well, in Jesus' day... They didn't have dogs as pets. You know, many of us have uh, dogs that are like a part of the family. They live in our houses. We give them names. We try to teach them manners. We keep them comfortable. We buy them beds. We try to keep them warm in the winter and cool in the summer. My dog doesn't come inside, he's outside, but one of the first things I do most mornings is I go for a walk, and before I go for a walk, I go on the back porch, and who greets me? My dog does. And he he is so happy to see me, he literally jumps up on me as though he's trying to hug me. They didn't have dogs like that in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, dogs were ravenous scavengers. Who prowled around the streets looking desperately for something to eat. They were dangerous animals. It was also an ethnic slur. Many times the Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs. And so when Jesus speaks of dogs here, he's not using in any way a commendable kind of term. Pigs were worse. They were more despised than dogs. They were considered to be unclean. Of course, in the Old Testament, Leviticus code declared them to be unclean. Jews would have nothing to do with them. A pig was a detestable animal. Pigs also, wild pigs, are dangerous animals. It was one of the worst insults you could give in Jesus' day to call someone a pig. And so Jesus really could not have chosen two more derogatory names by which to describe someone than these. To call them a dog or to call them a pig. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that not everyone is fit to hear and to receive the precious truth of the gospel. There are those who so despise the truth who are so hardened to the gospel, who are so resistant to the good news of salvation, that you are literally, literally wasting your time trying to present it to them over and over again. Here is where we are called upon to exercise some kind of spiritual discernment. You have to decide who qualifies as what Jesus calls a dog or a pig. Why? So you'll know how to protect the truth of the gospel and God's holy word from them. You must discern between those who are obstinate, resistant, hard hearted to the gospel and those who are open to hearing its truth. We could also expand that to wise biblical counsel. You don't keep throwing it before someone who treats it like a dog would, or someone like a pig would. There are some people who in their present condition, present spiritual condition, are beyond correction. And so you shouldn't just keep trying to correct them. If someone repeatedly rejects the truth, or resists the gospel, or despises wise counsel, or refuses to listen, or respond, or repent then you are simply, Jesus says, not to keep laying the holy things of God before them. Not to keep throwing before them the precious pearls of the gospel. But you're to leave them. To go on to someone who's more receptive to the word of God. Let's see how that works itself out for a few moments. In the Bible. For example, you'll turn over just a couple of chapters to Matthew chapter 10. And here in Matthew 10, Jesus is giving his disciples instructions before they went out on their first journey to proclaim the gospel. You look at verse 14. Jesus told them this Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, As you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, verse 15, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Jesus is saying, look, if you go and you proclaim the gospel and they reject it, they throw it back in your face, don't keep trying to cram it down their throats, you leave. And on your way out as a sign of protest, you shake the dust off your feet. We find the same thing in the book of Acts. You go to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13 is where Paul and Barnabas are on the first missionary journey. And in chapter 13, they are in a city called Pisidian Antioch. I'm going to read a number of verses to give you the story. You will begin with me at verse 44, Acts 13, 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiated and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. You see, they proclaim the truth to the Jews. The Jews rejected it, repudiated it, were blaspheming against it. And so Paul says, it was right, we brought it to you first, you don't listen, we're going to the Gentiles. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord, verse 49 was spread throughout the whole region. Now verse 50. But, there's another but here. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they, that is Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. Did the very thing Jesus had instructed his disciples to do. You go to a city, they reject the truth. When you leave, you shake the dust off your feet. Let's see how Jesus applied it. If you go with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus deals with two men. It's the time of Jesus' trial. He deals with two Roman political figures. One is Pilate and the other is Herod. He first appeared before Pilate. Pilate was uh, the governor of Judea. Judea was in the southern part of Palestine where Jerusalem was. Pilate, of course, was a Gentile. He didn't know much about Jesus, didn't know much about the gospel, didn't know much about the truth. Jesus, you know, performed most of his ministry up in the northern part of Palestine in Galilee, not so much down in Judea. So Pilate was somewhat ignorant. He wasn't a Jew, didn't have all the Jewish baggage that caused resistance to the gospel. Pilate was open and inquisitive. And Jesus is brought before him with the charge of sedition. Look with me at verse 3. Where we're told, So Pilate asked him, that's Jesus, asked Jesus a question, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him and said, It is as you say. Once you understand what's happening there, Pilate is asking Jesus a very, very important question. He's basically asking him about his identity. Are you who they say you are? Are you the one you claim to be? Are you the king of the Jews? And what does Jesus basically say? He says, yes. Yes, I am. It is as you say, I am the king of the Jews. And you notice in the very next verse, Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. In the course of the questioning, Pilate realized that Jesus was from Galilee. And he sent him off to see Herod. You see, Herod was the governor of Galilee. He happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. And it's true, Pilate was trying to get rid of a very hot potato. He realized that Jesus was a potato. A very very hot individual in terms of lots of controversy around him And so Pilate was doing his best to kind of pass the buck a little bit let's let's be honest here and so he sends Jesus off to Herod because you should see an accused could be tried not just by the one who was governor where the accusation was made he could also be tried by where he lived and so since Herod was from Galilee Jesus was from Galilee Herod was in Jerusalem Pilate sent him to see Herod and that starts with verse 8 where now he says Herod, Herod was very glad to see him and he was glad because he had heard lots about Jesus hadn't seen Jesus but he heard a lot about him heard all these things he was doing the text says he really wanted to see him do something miraculous Herod did know. He had heard. The Bible says in the Gospel of Mark, he had heard about the preaching of John. He knew the message of Jesus. He knew the message of the Gospel. And we're told in verse 9, and he, that is Herod, questioned him, that is Jesus, at some length. Herod questioned Jesus at some length. And notice Jesus' response. But he answered him nothing. Herod got the silent treatment from Jesus. Surely Herod asked him the same thing Pilate asked. Who are you? Are you the king of the Jews? And yet Jesus did not respond. I want you to see there how Jesus applies His own teaching. How He deals with two individuals in a very different way. Pilate was open, inquisitive, curious. Are you the King of the Jews? And Jesus says, yes, I am. And Pilate says, I find no fault in Him. Herod questions Him at length. And Jesus doesn't tell anything so Jesus takes his own teaching and applies it don't throw what is give what, don't give what is holy to dogs don't throw your pearls before swine well why what's the reason that Jesus gives it is still in the same verse or they will trample them, that is, they'll trample what is holy, they'll trample the pearls under their feet, and they'll turn and tear you to pieces. There are people who are so hard-hearted, so resistant to the gospel, so obstinate in their approach to the truth, that they will abuse it, malign it, criticize it, condemn it, blaspheme it, and turn on those who give it to them. They don't expect it. They don't appreciate it. They don't want it. They don't revere it. don't desire to hear it. The Bible says to them that it's foolishness and they will disrespect what is holy. My first year of college, I went to a state school in West Virginia. That's before I transferred to Covenant College. And I was living in a dorm room with, uh, I think there were two or three other guys in the room with me, and none of them were believers. I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ that first year of college. And I had some crusade literature lying around in the room. And one day, one of those uh, roommates picked up a pamphlet I had on the Holy Spirit, and he began to read through that pamphlet. And he twisted the words. And he read it in one of the most disgusting, despicable ways possible. I've always wondered if that was the unforgivable sin. Wondered since if the man was ever converted. He maligned, he mistreated, he abused holy things of God the pearls and he ridiculed and mocked me for having it Jesus says don't give what is holy to dogs and don't throw your pearls before swine because they will take what is holy and precious and they'll twist it and they'll abuse it. And they'll stomp on it. And they'll not only do that to the message, but they'll do that to the messenger. And so Jesus says, be very careful about giving your, what is holy to dogs and throwing your pearls before swine. Now before we close, I want to draw a few practical applications from this hard saying of Jesus. And one is, I want to go back to where I started. And that is, we must be very, very careful in applying this principle of showing spiritual discernment. You know, there's a reason why Jesus says this here. Again, it's in the context of not being judgmental. Do not judge, Jesus says, so that you will not be judged. In general, the Sermon on the Mount calls us to a higher standard of righteousness. Remember, we've seen that the Sermon on the Mount is kingdom rules for kingdom people. Kingdom people are to be different people. We're to live in a different way, with a different mentality, a different point of view than those who are outside the kingdom. One of the specific admonitions Jesus gives, again, is not to be judgmental. And So we're to be careful not to judge others even when we're showing this kind of spiritual discernment. Even when we decide it's time to shake the dust off of our feet, not to give the holy truth of the gospel to someone who's going to malign it. We're to do so in a spirit of wisdom and discernment, not in a manner of judgment and condemnation. Another is that we shouldn't use this verse as an excuse not to share the gospel with others. We must realize there will always be different responses to the proclamation of the truth. Some will listen. Some will turn a deaf ear. Some will respond favorably. Some will reject it. Some will thank you for sharing it with them. Others will curse you for doing it. You know, Jesus said the gospel falls like seed on different kinds of soil. There's the hard soil, there's the shallow soil, there's the thorny soil, and there's the good soil. And you don't know what kind of soil on which the seed is going to fall. Until you sow it and you see the response, you can't make this kind of discernment. It's only after you sow the seed and the response is given then you begin to understand. Another is that we should not change the gospel to make it more acceptable to more people. And boy, that's a big temptation. That's a big temptation. Watering down the gospel so more people will embrace it is not the answer. The message of the gospel does not change. The problem is It's not with the message. The problem is with the hearts of people to whom the message is given. It's not the message that needs to be changed. It's people that need to be changed. Woe be to us if we water down the truth in hopes that more people will embrace it or accept it. The message is what it is. And God has called us to proclaim it and to teach it faithfully. Understand that it is holy. We might change the method, but we don't change the message. And another to realize that the response to the gospel is the ultimate distinction between men, life or death, heaven or hell, depend on how one responds to the gospel. I prayed earlier about our country there are lots of things that trouble us about our culture if they don't they ought to it ought to trouble you when a 20 year old girl gets held up in her carport it ought to trouble you We kill babies in abortion clinics every day. It ought to trouble you. The crime is so rampant. It ought to trouble you. But why is it? It's because the truth is people need the gospel. It is the ultimate dividing line Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me you're either in the kingdom or out, or you're out there's no straddling the fence someone's response to the gospel determines their ultimate destiny that's how important it is that's why I told you to hang on to that hymn I love to tell what? I love to tell the story of Jesus and His love. And as much as we understand the reality of what Jesus is teaching here about don't, giving, no, don't give what is holy to dogs or throwing your pearls to the before swine, we've got to love the gospel. And we've got to love to proclaim it. Because the results are not yours. The results are not mine. The results are God's. So let's be a gospel-loving, gospel-proclaiming church. Let's understand how wonderful it is, how holy it is, how precious it is. Let's treat it that way. I don't know if I have another verse in the Bible that draws, drives us to our knees as much as this one does. To realize that God's entrusted to us the precious things of His Holy Word. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful how we handle it, how we communicate it, and how we deal with it. May God give us a love for the truth, a love for the story of Jesus and His love. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word for your blessing upon our time in it together now. Even as we ponder the reality of this hard saying of Jesus, help us know how to live by it, to keep it, to apply it to our lives, that we would be more like him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.